0: Welcome, sorry, small technical delay on my end. Hey. Alex, what's up? Oh, all good, can you hear me well? I can hear you perfectly.
1: No, it's great.
0: Let me send out a tweet, we are kicking off. Give me one sec. Sure.
1: Um, how's your, pretty good so far, just started, uh, you know, in Israel, it's, uh, Sunday is actually a work day. True. So Sunday yeah. is like, uh, my Monday, my Monday. Yeah, nice. absolutely. Yeah. Everything is a little bit shifted. Yeah, so um, uh, we don't have like too many topics for today, but we do have some interesting ones to discuss. And uh, as usual, uh, everyone is welcome to join in. Um, so tell me when you're ready to get started.
0: I am ready to get started, and I'm wondering why Telegram never like populates the preview on my links.
1: <laughs> uh it started it started recently uh and uh I don't know a lot of people noticed I, I didn't actually investigate but yeah it stopped showing previews if you if you post the link to tweet uh it used to kind of create a preview but now it doesn't for some reason yeah it's strange they
0: they have so like telegram has so many updates uh and and often like when you update once there's a few coming in behind it
1: yeah that can be very well uh, or if there is like some secret war going on that we don't know about yet another one
0: yeah wouldn't wouldn't be uh, at all surprising the the one thing I did notice I don't know if it was the last update for telegram or or one of the recent ones is that they enabled like a paid uh, kind of like Twitter blog. Yes.
1: yes I did uh, I did uh, subscribe to their uh premium or whatever they are calling it accounts, Um, I really liked the star, this kind of blue, beautiful star that you get. Yeah. But the problem is that everybody else sees that star, but not you. (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, And other than the star, everything else is basically, like, I I don't use any of the paid features. Um, The only one I probably could have used is that you... You get like ten pinned chats uh, instead of five, uh, but the, like it's so annoying that it's five. Like, like why would it be five? Like, why don't you like give me like really? This is what you're selling for premium features and ability to pin more than five chats. Yeah, yeah, see. yeah. So anyway, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger celebrated his seventy fifth birthday yesterday.
0: Holy, that that makes me feel uh, myself old. Yeah.
1: Ancient, un- unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, like every once in a while, like this, like some actor from your childhood, like pops in the news and he's like over 50, over 60, over 70, and you're like, my God. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of quoting one of his lines is that we promised to release uh, uh, bands last week, but we lied. Um, <laughs> uh, we didn't lie, but we actually, yeah, we really wanted to release it, but uh, there were some additional tests and fixes that were needed, so it will happen this week. Um, and uh, in general, like uh, things are moving pretty uh, well uh, with all of the releases. Tomorrow, we're going to announce uh, the fork, like the, the height of the next hard fork, which is kind of not exactly a hard fork. We just forgot to update uh, the parameter for the asset creation price, and we will fix that. Uh, so it's kind of this soft hard fork or mild hard fork uh, without too many changes, um, and uh, and yeah, and we will release the bans uh, as we uh, described, like discuss the specific date and time, uh, and all of these details will be published in tomorrow's newsletter and in our channels. So this is kind of the short update from Beam development, and. Uh, um So today we're going to talk mainly, I think about uh, the upcoming Ethereum merge because I didn't know too much about it, so I started reading and it turned out to be more interesting than I kind of expected initially. Um, unless we have any other kind of interesting news to discuss. There was this another stable coin that went bust?:
0: Yeah, this was uh, this was the Nirvana.
1: Nirvana, yes, the Solana-based stablecoin. And um, it was exploited. It was exploited using this very, um, I would say, classic already method of creating a flash loan and then pumping uh, the collateralized asset and then extracting a lot of stablecoins as a result and then putting the collateral back into the lending protocol from where it came. So it was... Um, very uh, kind of uh, sophisticated, but like very familiar already manipulation, unfortunately. And I think you can drop the link to this Cointelegraph article, which describes this very well uh, to the tweet. So everybody can read about it. Uh, It's a cautionary tale as usual of uh, trying to, plan for these uh, flash loan situations, not a simple thing to do, but in my opinion, very necessary, because flash loans create really unpredictable behaviors. You can basically borrow a lot of, like, money uh, for free and do all kinds of manipulations, arbitrages, etc. Yeah, so, um, look, this is one kind of piece of news we wanted to mention. Uh, Another one uh, is... um, uh, so I, I'm subscribed to this uh, channel called Vu Blockchain News uh, on Telegram. They also have Twitter and uh, they are kind of providing a lot of interesting stories and their signal to noise ratio is pretty well. So they don't post a lot of shit, but rather like very focused and just articles. So another one that appeared on that channel was uh, a paradigm uh, fund letter to their LPs describes the opportunities in DeFi protocols. And I think it was very interesting to mention because uh, there is a crisis, there is a bear market, like a lot of things went uh, kind of poorly recently. But uh, interestingly, DeFi, the, the, the proper DeFi, behaved better than CFI in these situations. And um, it's an interesting kind of, uh, in my opinion, very interesting observation, because uh, new DeFi is uh, uh, very experimental. Uh, so you wouldn't like expect this. But the truth is that in some cases, for example, that we heard about, um, the loan that you need to repay, and you have a loan like to, like for you, you took from two parties, the DeFi and the CFI. So in DeFi case, you will repay this loan because otherwise you will be just liquidated by the protocol. It's a smart contract. You can't negotiate with it. You can't threaten it. You can't manipulate it right in any way. And this is actually what happened. Like in uh, most of the recent uh, uh, like financial troubles that organizations went through, they first and foremost repay their DeFi loans. To avoid those liquidations yeah and only then they went and kind of tried to renegotiate the terms with Fi uh counterparties and uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of thing to to notice right so
0: yeah absolutely it's interesting because like uh a lot of or, or at least like the picture that i got from the recent kind of uh the trouble that was that was happening in like the C Fi kind of lending in this kind of space is that a lot of it was to do with like it being very uh obfuscated as to like what the party was doing and how much collateral they actually had backing it. Whereas also in, in D five that's not not the case and and obviously like people were watching the like big loans and DeFi getting repaid and and to get unfree or sorry unlock that sort of collateral that was backing the loans.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's this kind of. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's like by design or not, but this is uh, the um, uh, side effect of this transparency that we have today on uh, most DeFi enabled chains like Ethereum and such, where you can actually. Uh, see and track what you know what are the positions of different organizations so yes uh it's much more transparent than uh, you know in c5 where you know what they're doing with your money behind your back i totally agree uh, but i think that um, uh this specific <coughs> uh, letter to, to lps uh like the, the last kind of summary uh paragraph is very optimistic right despite the current situation of the bear market And uh, it has, like, a lot of, uh, you know, describes a lot of potential for DeFi applications. Yeah. And uh, overall, I think it's a very positive outlook, and uh, it's always nice to hear that. Uh, And also, they emphasize that it's uh, not only financial applications now, and it's also kind of uh, moving into gaming a lot, digital art, social networking, and other areas which are not like directly financial for, uh, related to, um, which is amazing and good news.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think this will be, like, if we look at the overall crypto space and, and look at, like, the last cycle in, like, 2017 and this kind of stuff, like... DeFi was like very very basic but it was starting to like you know people to see what could be done with it in terms of like uh ether delta which was like a kind of dex uh and very very minimalistic and basic and (laughs) and very awkward to use and and now like looking at the present like what we have in DeFi and, and the different applications whether it's like uh amm style dexes or lending uh, it's come like a huge 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 way and I feel like this is for for the uh, non-financial applications like gaming and and other things I feel like we're at the for lack of a better descriptor we're at the etdel kind of kind of stage of it and going forward in the next years it'll be very interesting to see like the progress that is made on on this front
1: absolutely so it, it's it's really amazing because like even though uh crypto exists for quite a few years already but it always seems that we're in the beginning of something because you know things change and uh, like we're in the beginning of DeFi and we're even more in the beginning of like nfts and digital art uh, and gaming and all that so every couple of years new areas like entire areas of application uh pop up yeah and, uh, uh, yeah, it's like an uh, absolute beginner kind of uh, feeling. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so um, I think we can, we can t- start talking about kind of the main topic that uh, we wanted to discuss tonight. Um, I don't know, like, I didn't go to uh, East Paris, and, uh, uh, like, I don't know if some of our listeners went there or been there. But obviously, one of the key uh, topics of interest were about the upcoming Ethereum merge. Mm. So, like, this is what they call this process of moving from proof of work mining algorithm to proof of stake. And um, one topic in particular that I would like to start with uh, is uh, MEV, right? Minor extractable value. And we all heard about this and uh, uh, I was actually kind of not surprised, but a a little bit surprised to learn that uh, miners on Ethereum, and we're talking about like mining pools, uh, they have actually an API, like they have an API for MEV bots and uh, they, uh, instead of like each bot trying to flood the network with a lot of transactions, they say, wait a minute, you want to provide us with your kind of transactions to put in the block, no problem. Let's, you know, come to us from a side, like whisper in our ear uh, what you want, and uh, obviously it will cost you something because you're making profit of it, and we will try to put your transactions in the right place, right? Yeah. Uh, And that's how this ecosystem actually kind of works today. Uh, And obviously uh, there is quite, I don't know, five or six maybe top uh, Ethereum mining pools that concentrate A vast majority of the mining power, Uh, but still, it's uh, it's a probabilistic uh, process, right? So you cannot really guarantee um, that your block will be kind of the one accepted in this next stage, right? So there is a high probability, but it's not a hundred percent guarantee. And one of the topics that were discussed during these uh, sessions that I find uh, very interesting is like what's going to happen with uh, when the transition is complete to proof-of-stake, right? So we don't have miners anymore. Yeah. Uh, And you you have validators. So first of all, let me ask you a trick question. Uh, If there are no miners, can there be miner extractable value? I would say yes. Okay. So, (laughs) yes, that's the correct answer. But would it be... Oh, can you mute or stop making noise because it's kind of yeah okay so would it be would it be then called a validator extractable value it it should be right i i mean i don't know but yeah (laughs) yeah you would you would think so you would think so but no and the reason is that actually uh, when we talk about miners um the process of mining kind of combines two separate operations The first operation is actually creating the block. So we have the mempool, and there are transactions in the mempool, and we need to assemble them into a block, right, of specific size, et cetera, with some restrictions. And then there is the second step, which is resources, right? And this is where the actual miners, the people who are sitting with the GPU farms, come to play, and they solve the solution, and they find this nonce that uh, is needed for... uh, you know, the pool to close the block. So this is, there are two separate processes, but they are kind of bundled into the same uh, mining process uh, together. And in actuality, the ones who create the block are the ones in control over which transactions go in, in which order, and uh, how this actually uh, affects what's happening in, in the blockchain. And the differences in different, you know, sequencing of transactions uh, can be extreme, right? So you can do arbitrages, you can like we can throw away some transactions altogether, or you can, on on the contrary, add new transactions that will take advantage of the previous transactions. So there is a lot of space here for me. And this is exactly where those algorithms that uh, they, they're called searchers, they search for opportunities to manipulate those transactions and extract some profit. So in the current s- scheme of things, uh, whenever there is this uh, arbitrageur or MEV uh, bot which is uh, trying to create kind of uh, some of the dangerous sequencing of transactions, you need to trust the pool not to steal this profit from you because eventually the pool is the uh, one who is creating the block. So when they see a, a transaction which is obviously profitable, they can just kind of replace the address to their own wallet and, you know, just... Uh, exploit this opportunity themselves. Yeah. So you need to trust them not to do that. And obviously, like, if it's a big pool, probably they won't do that, even though, you know, probably on the amount and other parameters, but you can trust them to play fair. And uh, when we are talking about uh, proof of stake, there are two key differences. First difference is that you do know exactly when is your turn to close the next block, right? So yes, you have like a, a lot of validators, but the way it works is that there is a sequence of validators and you know who is going to be next. So unlike mining with proof-of-work algorithms that you can hope that, like, if you have a lot of hashing power, you are going to be the best, but you cannot be sure about it, in this case, it's a 100% certainty that this specific block, this is going to be a validator that is going to close. Uh, by the way, these validators, they're called... Um, block proposers, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I, this, like this, uh, sheds some light on, on my lack of understanding, but how far in advance do the, oh, I've already forgotten their name. How far in advance do they
1: know that block will be theirs? So I'm not 100% sure. If somebody knows the correct answer, please tell us. Uh, but... Um, let's say if it's even if it's the next block, like one block in advance, right, or two, it's yeah. still enough for, uh, you know, for, for the bots to try to kind of understand what is going to happen there and uh, try to propose their own kind of transactions. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, I think in most cases, it's even going to be uh, effective up to, like, the next block because if the state, like, of the blockchain changes each block, so maybe there are new opportunities that were just created and you want to exploit them as quickly as possible. So what is going to happen is that actually you do have two separate entities here. So you have the uh, block builders, uh, the entities who create blocks, and then you have separately the block uh, validators out of which one of them is going to be the proposal of the block and everybody else need to kind of accept it, verify it and uh, become validators. And, unless you have something like built into the protocol, uh, you basically have the same exact like issue with uh, these bots that are doing this minor extractable value. They are going to uh, go to this block producer uh, and uh, block builder and uh, try to convince this block builder to take their version of events so they can benefit the most from this specific sequence of transactions. And uh, the way, to, like one of the ways that you can do it is by creating this marketplace. Um, and there is like a project that's doing that. I think it's uh, called a uh, MEV bot or something like that. And uh, you create a marketplace where you first suggest kind of the you, you produce the header of the block, which contains all of the fees that will be collected by the validator. The Validator just selects from the top, like you know, what's best for them, basically, the most profits they can get out of the block. And only then it publishes the block itself, the body of the block, and they can choose, like, not choose, they just take this block that they have selected, and they see the transactions that went into it, okay? Okay. So the the point here is that you have uh, uh, the separation of kind of two processes, right? So the validators just validate, and the block producers just build blocks, uh, and you have a marketplace. So if you have like several organizations or several kind of uh, block producers, they can create different blocks. And the one who manages to create, to assemble the most profitable block for the validators will win and their block will be taken. But still, you have this problem that uh, when you uh, are a bot who is has value, you need to trust you need to trust this uh, block-producing entity, right? Whoever produces blocks, you need to trust them, not to steal your trading ideas, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: And, and and this actually, like, uh, what you're saying were about, like, the need to trust, this made me think of of something I saw a while back, like, directly to do with, uh, with the minor extractable value MEV. Uh, and it was a conversation between two individuals that had searches and they were like obviously running a very similar kind of search or, or whatever you call it, like looking at the same opportunities for arbitrage. And because they were looking in the same place, they were like outbidding each other on the marketplace, almost to the point of it not being profitable for either of them. Like the, it was very good for the pool. Uh, that was like mining the block, but for the searchers themselves, because they kept outbidding themselves, the, the like margin of profit shrunk greatly and and almost like uh, disappeared.
1: Yeah, that's basically what happens when there is like a fierce competition between like two entities on the same um, on the same goal. And uh, it reminds me of this uh, scene from uh, The Beautiful Mind, uh, which is a movie about uh, mathematician. Uh, 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 Steve Nash, Steve Nash? Nash, I don't remember his name. Uh, and uh, he described this like process of like how there are like several go- girls at the bar, and uh, everybody goes for the most beautiful girl, and uh, that's how he invented the Nash equilibrium. Uh, mm-hmm. The movie once again. Uh, ne- never, never try to learn history from you know uh, Hollywood movies. It's not a good idea. <laughs> no, true true. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but that's exactly what's happening. So basically uh, when you w- when you are a MeV um, bot first of all they they mostly are specialized right so they're not necessarily looking for all different kinds of opportunities but rather they focus on let's say arbitrages or like uh, like different kinds of different types of uh, uh, you know value extraction because uh, each of these kind of types uh, of uh, MeV it's very complicated it requires a lot of speed analysis and, s- and things like that so it's kind of not really simple to create a bot that will just extract any value like what whatsoever but yeah definitely that's exactly what's going to happen uh, you will have a lot of uh, bots competing for this space um, and uh, trying to compete and one of the things that were discussed in these sessions and then uh, I think we can like send these two, uh, links that uh, we discussed. The first one is uh, uh, a video with Dalek Buterin talking about this issue, which is very interesting to watch. And the second one is a more like depth article describing the uh, op- economics of this. So th- the point is, like, if you manage to take this, uh, they call it PBS, uh, Proposer Builder Separation, into the protocol, so if it's, like, part of the system, essentially, then you remove this issue of trust because then you make sure uh, whoever proposes uh like whoever builds the block does it in, in in a way uh that doesn't require like anyone else to trust him right so he cannot kind of cheat there he cannot collude uh with uh with the uh proposer in this and tell him listen i'm going to make money out of this and we're not going to share it with like people who are actually you know creating these amazing opportunities let's just Share it between us, so it's more difficult to do that. And uh, uh, this is exactly the point of this proposal: build a separation. Um, it's very interesting for several reasons, and I will also t- talk a little bit why why it's interesting also to build, uh, even though it's a little bit different story. So it's interesting because, first of all, what's going to happen immediately post uh, merge? These proposals are not in; they've been discussed, but they're not. It's not in the protocol, at least not right right now so what's going to happen is it's going to be a lot of kind of new types of power struggles Uh, and uh, what once was this kind of several big mining pools will be replaced with these new bodies you have uh, block producers and you have block proposers and relayers and everything in between Uh, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this is going to develop and what will happen in the end who's going to profit more or less, uh, but there will be a lot of mess, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, that's like one, one important point. Uh, and uh, the second important point is this whole concept of MEV. Um, like it, it's going to be kind of essential part of this entire system. And for me, it's very interesting to see how this is going to affect. So it affects the trading right now, but I think it's going to be even more, um, even more kind of uh, relevant. I, I would say, like in this uh, new situation where you're absolutely sure who is going to close the next block, and there's still no PBS in place. Yeah, and and
0: one one thing, I it's maybe not a, not so much a question but a point. Like often when we talk about MEV. Uh, we talk about like the dex arbitrage or liquidations or sandwich trading and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often it's often it's mentioned in like a negative, uh, a negative light, but there is like, there is positive MEV examples. And I think that you brought up one, like in early spaces. And I mean, one of the few that I've seen examples of like positive kind of, mev in the wild uh and i think it was to do with like the maybe an l2 or something like this and and they someone pre- like uh, put forward a proof and the proof was hacked and uh one of the bots like picked it up and saw that and and got the reward reward for kind of showing that it was like a had an issue yeah
1: yeah yeah uh, no uh, definitely not all uh, mev is uh, uh, negative for example uh, if you are reba- rebalancing uh, a pool uh, yeah. so yes you, you are performing an arbitrage but this arbitrage is essential for the entire operation of dex right so you, you you need to have these arbitrageurs in and uh, making the price balanced again against the kind of outside uh, feeds uh, yeah but by all means the only question is um, it's it's kind of a little bit question of uh, uh, I don't know whether to call it like fairness, but like equal opportunity. Because if you are just a trader who is not uh, very sophisticated, you don't run bots. You're basically like outgunned and outnumbered, right? You, you don't. Yeah. Let's say let's say you are uh, suddenly you recognize like this amazing opportunity, and you're sending your transaction from your wallet. Like be sure that there are like dozens of bots waiting just for that, analyzing it on the fly, and say, "Whoa, uh, look at this guy! He found something amazing. Let's replace him." Uh, uh, hey, you block producer, here take a few more bucks and just you know put my transactions instead of his.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly the problem, and uh, we, like it will solve itself and it will balance, right? But before it does, there are going to be a lot of interesting dynamics. That's what, what I'm saying. And um, uh, the link I just sent you is uh, a bankless uh, podcast episode, which is very uh, kind of thorough and uh, basic and very simple. And it describes uh, all of these kind of hidden power structures of Ethereum post merge, uh, highly recommended. So if you could please also put it in the space, it would be great um they are really kind of you know explaining everything from the very beginning so uh, definitely worth listening it's a little bit long uh but it's very um comprehensive
0: these guys the the bankless guys are very like ethereum focused uh and maybe maybe to the point of being biased but they they have some really like good stuff that they share and and on like they make it very easy to understand some of the like far yeah. too complex issues especially yeah. Massa. Like
1: they're definitely doing a great job in uh, explaining everything in a very organized and step-by-step way and uh, they invite great guests and they also kind of guide these guests and you know? also uh, even if you bring like an expert in the field they don't let him to run away they uh, wait a minute, could you please first explain this, and then this, and then this, like, it's, uh, and it's, yeah, it's very, very easy to understand. Great, great job. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. If I understand correctly, it's scheduled for September, which is kind of a month from now, a month and, and a half. Yeah. And, um, and
0: one, one of the things that, like, I mean, it seems very soon, like, September, a month away or something, and, like, the people that I've spoken to who are like kind of involved in crypto and Ethereum stuff in general, but not like devs or obviously like that. There's a lot of like confusion about what's going to happen, uh, for like DeFi protocol, NFTs and all of this kind of stuff.
1: Like my, I'm, personally, I have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, I, I didn't research this topic. I will take a think. Uh, like if I, you know, uh, think intuitively, it should be basically in kind the of terms that yeah, you change consensus, but all of the data, all of the state, it all remains the same. Uh, just like from starting from some specific block, the next block is no longer produced by POV mi- uh, miners and like produced by. Uh, uh, but yeah, but once again, uh, I think uh, we we will kind of get more information before it will actually happen. And uh, even today, I think uh, there are test nets uh, that already work, uh, you know, using uh, proof of stake and uh, can play with that. But once again, I didn't go uh, too deep into this topic. One thing I would like to mention, which is related to Beam, um, it seems like quite a lot of GPUs are going to be looking for a job absolutely and our job is to make sure uh some of them the more the better uh end up mining beam and this kind of a uh, challenge i think that we need to uh try to achieve together with our community so if any of you uh i don't know can help in any way like for example Uh, every once in a while you see the article of like what uh, or like which coins should you mine after Ethereum uh, proof of stake uh, or like after Ethereum merge. And uh, there is a list of like all kinds of different coins. Sometimes Beam is there and sometimes more often it isn't. Uh, So it would be great if you see an article like that. Um, First of all, send it to us, send it to the community. And second comment, like if Beam is not there, like mention us uh you know bring it to our attention and i think uh it would be kind of great to see some of these miners switch to beam
0: absolutely and i think like you said a lot of the few miners after the F merge they will be looking for a new job and also a new home so like uh, i think it will be very Good for us to like get out there and get active, talking in the minor communities. I see President Ruski in the in the space at the moment. Like, uh, if there's anything that you guys think we can do on our side as well to to assist with any GPUs looking to shift over to Beam, let us know and, and yell out, and we'll make it happen.
1: Absolutely. Not to mention that uh, there like. Uh, I, I didn't like uh, read about it, but I just heard it like recently, uh, and mostly like that some people are going to try to fork Ethereum and create like several different forks, and then compete between like who is going to be the most popular one, right? What what's going to happen with the old chain, the proof of work chain?
0: Yeah, I, I mean like how I firstly understood it, but I haven't followed it more recently. Was that like Ethereum one? the the like Ethereum ETH as we know it now, uh still be like operational for a year or a couple of years in conjunction with F2. But like from what I'm hearing now, it seems like this is, has changed and, and people are live pushed the proof of work chain to continue on in some kind of direction.
1: It's it's going to be a mess.
0: It, it will no doubt be very interesting and and very like uh, representative of of the wider cri- crypto space and like how crazy it is at times. We have yeah. we have one question in the Telegram chat from Joe. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I
1: see, I see it, I see it, and yeah. it was asked. Uh, it was asked uh, during the previous um, space the last week, was, and we didn't yeah. answer it. Yeah, um, apologies for that. Absolutely. We're, we're very sorry. We'll answer it now. So the question is, like, is it theoretically possible for a BAN's address to receive any coin and represent it synthetically in the Beam wallet? Um, kind of switching back from all of this Ethereum stuff uh, back to our BIM. Um, yeah, so um, the answer is yes, but uh, we need to make sure that it's not confusing and I'll explain exactly why. For example, let's say I have Uh, 10 beam in my wallet and i also have 10 beam in my band's address right so i kind of have 20 beam but i kind of don't exactly have them in the same place because the 10 beam in the band's address they're actually in the contract and the other ones are in my wallet so interestingly i can create a transaction that takes uh bands like uh, both places and send them like all together to to some address. I can I could do that, but I'm not sure that it can like they're exactly the same, right? So um, we could do it like that, but I'm not sure it's like going to be uh, clearer or uh, on, on the opposite more confusing uh, when you are going to the application. You see that you have ten beam in the application, and you also have 10 beam in the wallet, but in the wallet you now see 20. So this is the exact reason why we didn't do it like that. Uh, We didn't want to, um, so first of all, the balance is just like going to be launched and we didn't support like, we didn't add complete support in the wallet, but when we were thinking about how to represent your different balances, uh, we specifically did not put them all into this kind of your uh, wallet status screen, right, where you have these exact numbers of your different assets. But rather, we kept them in the into each application. And yes, we are thinking about creating this kind of more detailed dashboard. We want to know: wait a minute, uh, like wh- where do I have all my funds? and which applications they are locked, etc. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure that we will going to like, uh, put it all in one number. Like I, I, I have a hundred beam where oh, you know all over the place in five different places. I hope it answers the question, and if not. Uh, please. And in the meantime, we have a request from President Ruski. Yeah, no, I just
2: wanted to say something on uh, the whole uh, merge thing, and yeah. then Ethereum Classic, so uh, as far as I know, uh, in my understanding, that there were some, like, papers signed behind the closed doors, and there was a reason why uh, is you know, personally recommended to go on to Ethereum Classic, and in fact, there's a reason why Ample just endorsed you know, $10 million uh, and invested in Ethereum Classic. And uh, a lot of, uh, if you noticed, uh, ASIC manufacturers, they're specifically starting to advertise their ASICs as uh, ETC ETC, uh, compatible or whatever. So, um, yeah. So, I think there are going to be some PAL kind of like cash grab forks. But, they're, they, you know, they still have to worry about the problem of uh, what you call it. Uh, there's a difficulty bomb. And, it, a, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of things to work on before, you know, it, it's going to be. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of successful power forks from Ethereum, to be honest. Uh, I think ETC is going to take the majority. And then what Beam can do in terms of uh, getting some of that hash rate, um, towards it is uh, I guess it's just I guess marketing I, I think the biggest struggle in Beam for being Beam, uh, coming from a uh, person on the outside is just marketing There's there's been none and it's not like uh, I'm not trying to talk bad or anything like that but it's just there hasn't been much of marketing I, I, I have seen uh, attempts like uh, lately but up to this point there hasn't been that much uh, of marketing on the on the beam side, and I think marketing yeah. would open the so, door for the new miners because a lot of people don't even know Beam exists.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree, uh, and this is exactly like the point in time uh, where we need to seize this opportunity and uh, find a best best kind of and most effective spots uh, to uh, you know like uh, pinpoint and attack because obviously we cannot do any kind of you know blanket coverage marketing all all over the place. But I think if we find these resources, these pools uh, and communities that we can, you know, very kind of tactically and uh, accurately target, uh, it will uh, do us a lot of good. So once again, yeah, we we, we do have the resources, we do have the will to do that. And uh, if you have any kind of thoughts about which communities or places we should advertise and it can kind of maximize this effort, uh, please tell us. Uh, this is like one thing. The other thing regarding this Ethereum classic from recommendation from Vitalik Buterin, I heard this story in uh, kind of two different versions. The first version is basically what we just said this kind of conspiracy theory, but not exactly conspiracy theory because uh, I don't know exactly what is the relation of Vitalik with uh, Ethereum I know, classic.
2: I know for a fact there were some uh, paper sign, legal sign really? behind closed doors between Vitalik. And, and, you know, some of the people involved, there's a reason why Ethereum Classic got to keep the name Ethereum in its name Mm. Um, and and everything else and the logo and everything else. So, yeah, there's definitely I I mean, you can take it as a conspiracy theory, but Ethereum Classic is going to have is going to have a lot of backing and you're going to see more and more pools and bigger uh, manufacturers, ASIC manufacturers flock towards the Ethereum Classic name and back its pow and, you know, how it's been, uh, it's it's Bitcoin-like principalities and and how it's been decentralized in a similar manner,
1: you know. Yeah, so, no, first of all, I didn't mean conspiracy theory in kind of a negative way because I I was talking specifically about this uh, Vitalik's recommendation, like, that he said during his talk uh, in Paris, and uh, uh, one of the versions that I heard is, like, that he was half-joking, but I don't know, like, if, if you say there are documents signed, then probably he wasn't. Not to mention the fact that Ethereum jumped how many percent, like, after after that? Quite a lot. Oh,
2: yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, he, he's just, I think he's just excited about his proof-of-stake, you know, Ethereum too, so. And, you know, what's best to recommend than something that you created? And That's for sure. True. <laughs> and, and he's, you know, even Vitalik himself said, uh, the only Ethereum killer is Ethereum. And, if, you know, few kind of understand that. There is two hmm. Ethereums, There is the original Ethereum chain and the continuation of it, and there is the forked off DAO. That's why he said. That's why in that speech he said they stayed to its core. You know, uh, they didn't. They didn't fork the DAO. Ethereum is the forked DAO. Hmm.
1: That's right. Yeah, Ethereum is the one that uh, rolled back these uh, this Yeah, but it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting anyway. Uh, we will we will live and
0: see. Absolutely, and and like agree with Ruski's points, and and also Romanoff, what you mentioned about like targeted advertising and, and really pumping out some content for miners to to get them interested, to get them to know Beam, and and hopefully shift over and get some extra GPU. We did have we did have a, a follow up question from Joe, or rather like a, a clarification of the question. And the question was like, is it possible for, say I have Bitcoin in my Bitcoin wallet or Ethereum in my Ethereum wallet, is it possible for me to send Bitcoin to gas.beam or alex.beam or whatever, and then the Beam wallet receive like a synthetic asset of that Bitcoin?
1: Ah. Okay, yeah, so uh, le- let's put it like this. We are going to, like, one, once Banks is operan- operational, uh, we are going to create a more convenient representation of what's happening, like, in your Banks accounts uh, than just going into the application. And this is a kind of part uh, of the wallet integration that we are talking about. Um, probably not going to happen from day one. And in terms of... Uh, all of the assets that you have on Beam chain, whether they are kind of breached or native, it doesn't matter. You can send either one of those to to any bank's address, obviously. You can extract either one of those into your Beam wallet and then kind of send it to whomever you want. So yeah, it's it's all going to be based on confidential assets and behave in completely similar way. So the only open question is how exactly to represent like one or several banks accounts that you currently own. Um, like for example, uh, you have this vault uh, that associated with your banks, right? So when when some funds are sent uh, to your kind of bank's uh, domain, then uh, it, it gets into the vault, and then you can extract it from there. So like one of the questions, like, where do we want to do? Really want to separate those vaults, or like should it be the same place? Do you care to which bank's address it was sent or not? So, all these questions are kind of open questions that we will try to figure out based on the usage and comments and uh, uh, you know uh, responses uh, from, from our community, uh, because we don't really know what would be more convenient. There are a lot of kind of different variations how we can implement that. Uh, and this is exactly why we do the testnet and the dapnet. And this is why we always are welcoming any feedback. Uh, because there are a lot of kind of uh, different ways to do the same thing. And we're trying to find a better one.
0: Absolutely. And I think like uh, on on Joe's question point, like the, the first kind of big uh, the, the first big step for bands will be wallet integration. And yeah. then I think it will be like integrating the bands addresses to the bridges that support Bing, Uh So that when you're if you're bridging assets from Ethereum or from uh, Bitcoin to Beam, uh, obviously, like we use a different address structure. So rather than saying like to the same address, you'll be able to put in like a band's address to to receive the bridged assets to your band's
2: mm-hmm. account.
1: Yep.
0: Exactly I, so. I have. I have a question, like, looping back to the to the very beginning and about, like, proof of work and sp- more specifically the MEV. I, I Googled MEV, and I always, like, consider it as minor extractable value. And then I Googled it, and it says maximum extractable value. So yeah
1: okay. it is recent rebranding.
0: Rebrand it. OK, <laughs> okay makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm not up to date. Uh, I, Like my question is, how do you, Alex, how do you see MEV playing out and being a part of, for better or worse, the Beam ecosystem, especially as we look to launch or people look to launch decentralized exchanges, lending and borrowing and and stable coins and these types
1: of things? Um, Yeah, so first of all, uh, I don't exactly know what will happen. We will see because in order to have MEV, you need to have some V, uh, you know, some value to extract. Yeah, um, and uh, obviously, when you have uh, when you have a dex, you have arbitrages. It's like part of the part of the system. And um, uh, first of all, like we can't exactly separate between like good MEV and bad MEV, right? So it's, it's not a real possibility. Uh, but it, there are things that, for example, are working a little bit differently in Beam. Um, for example, these uh, high-frequency transactions that we've been talking about, which kind of treats uh, the mempool differently. It's no longer just a list of transactions. It's more like a tree with branches, and whenever your transaction is submitted to a specific position, this position can no longer be changed. Like for example, this prevents certain types of MEVs, such as uh, sandwiching, when you create a transaction before and after uh, a certain transaction and like try to influence its behavior. So this is no longer possible. You can add a new transaction after the one that you saw, uh, but not before. And um, it's quite difficult to predict exactly how this is going to be used, uh, I think that in general, this idea of treating the mempool differently, like, or like treating it as more as a, a kind of transparent or predictable structure, like, not necessarily completely up to a block producer to create. I think this idea is not unique to Beam. Uh, it is discussed, uh, I saw it in several, don't exactly remember where, where but uh, it's kind of this. Uh, uh, new frontier right the mempool is is this place where the action happens now nobody yeah. long n- nobody waits for the block to be mined that's too late that's like ancient history yeah uh, absolutely yeah so you you need to be able to uh, react analyze to the transactions as they happen one of the places where it uh kind of plays like uh, plays a, uh, an interesting role is all kind of layer two uh you know roll-ups because this is exactly the place where the sequencer creates this bulk of transaction that is then being rolled up uh, either in zero knowledge form or an optimistic form to the layer one chain. Um, and uh, like in, in, in mempool, all of these questions of censorship of transaction manipulation and of miner uh, minor extractable value. Uh, they also kind of uh, write, how, how do we make sure that transactions are not censored? What prevents, the sequencer from you know taking advantage from the fact that he is the one determining the, the order of things um i don't really think that it's going to either disappear or change significantly like maybe the power uh, will shift from the pools of today to the block producers of, of tomorrow but uh, there will still be you know a lot of um Attempts, at least, for collusion and a lot of kind of manipulation. It's, it's unavoidable because if you have an opportunity to do that, uh, that's exactly what will happen. Um, so, yeah, and and like I, I just kind of, uh, I think it's it's very similar to uh, all of these stories that you uh, probably heard about these organizations, you know, uh, building their offices right above the cable that connects, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the exchanges like that the, goes yeah. Those, yeah. The, the microseconds the wall street
0: guys and cutting down their like uh cable to the to the feed and this kind of stuff yeah
1: because, because like if you have the computers and you have the power then uh the closer you are to the source of information that's obviously uh, gives you an advantage and uh, uh, then you have these uh, high frequency traders that you know shave <laughs> uh, fractions of cents from every whatever uh yeah I, I think I th- exactly the same thing is going to happen in crypto whether we want it or not, because uh, that's the way it works,
0: yeah absolutely if there's if, if there's something to extract, someone is gonna attempt to do so regardless of like good or bad by whoever's standards
1: <coughs> so uh we're running like almost up to the hour, and I, I would like to just kind of recommend um uh, it, all of this story about uh you know, trading uh, reminded me. So one of my favorite books is uh, uh, The Black Swan by uh, Nassim Taleb, and um, uh, it's it's a book not just about trading. It's more about kind of philosophy in a way, but it's very well written. Uh, you just need to kind of ignore his uh, um, his tone, which is a little bit kind of uh, you know um, condescending. But if you ignore that, it's a very interesting read, uh, and. Uh, he kind of describes the mechanics or like the, the dynamics of uh, markets in general, which is like non-linear systems, impossible to predict. Uh, and every once in a while, uh, this actually um, manifests itself, for example, in something that's called a flash flash crashing. So w- sometimes all of these, you know, algorithms training with each other, they get on this kind of weird sink uh, and they start, Selling to each other with like great loss, all of a sudden, yeah. like if you Google uh, like market flash flash crash, like on Wikipedia, you will find that uh, it's like it looks on the graph like the whole market like goes down for a second, and then it like immediately goes back up because somebody notices and they and they fix it. But uh, every once in a while, uh, it happens. I think uh, 2015 is one of the years, as I see here uh it happened twice yeah there was i i like i i have
0: not read this book but i i did read a little bit about a guy in the uk who was trading out of his like parents spare bedroom or his bedroom and his parents room that like uh created a flash crash uh, in the market, and it was pretty much by like spoofing the order books, like placing large cells there that weren't getting even up, and, and lowering them as it went down, and, and
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, so th- that's definitely like things that we're going to see happen a lot. Like uh, the more the more there is kind of bot trading, quick changes in direction. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic. It's not going to be boring. Absolutely. Exciting times ahead. Uh, Definitely. All right. So let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for being here with us. Uh, I hope this was, um, you know, not too boring. All of this Ethereum talk, I promise to get back to Beam next time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Beam has so much coming up, like with the bands and, and with some yet to be kind of announced officially kind of depths that are going to be running on beam and and a lot of stuff that's coming to fruition. Uh, I think the the well I know that the second half of of this year is going to be pretty exciting times for all beamers and and new people entering into the community.
1: For sure. All
0: right. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys and see you next week. See you okay. again. Thanks. You're up you. bye bye.